Welcome back, y'all. This is a midweek minisode of NBA. I am your host, Luca Don Quiche, a.k.a. your boy, Jay Quilas. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Ricky O'Donnell. He is a writer and reporter on the Bulls and uh, College Hoops for SB Nation. And today, we're going to talk about my most uh, hated and loved um, and the team that causes me the most anguish in my entire life, the Chicago Bulls. Ricky, welcome to NBA. Jay, thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for being on the podcast again. Um, so Ricky has an interesting perspective on uh, the Bulls, especially this year, being that um, it was supposed to be uh, the tankathon year. At least that's what we were hoping going into the season. So um, Ricky, it was an interesting offseason leading into the season as was. Um, the first question I have for you is, were you a pro-trade Jimmy guy or an anti-trade Jimmy guy going into the offseason? I was an anti-trade Jimmy guy. I just felt like it was a sign of incompetence, like the front office admitting their own incompetence uh, because like you had a superstar in the prime of his career at a totally below market deal, vastly outperforming what you were paying him. And they basically raised a white flag and said, we're not good enough to build a competent team around this guy. I mean, giving Dwayne Wade the contract that he did two years ago is an absolute disaster. I think that that's really what set the Butler trade in motion. Uh, the Rondo deal, you know, that wasn't great. Maybe you could have lived with it uh, in a vacuum without the Wade signing. And just, you know, all the missed draft picks over the years, all the botched free agent signings. Uh, it's really unfortunate because if you go back to when Butler was drafted, so that was the year after the Bulls had the best record in the NBA. Uh, I believe that was the year they reached the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Butler's drafted the next year. Yeah, I think that's right because I know they had the 30th so if I told you that that team would draft a top 15 player in the NBA at shooting guard with the 30th pick in the draft, you would have thought the Bulls are probably going to form a dynasty. Right. The Bulls got this incredible bit of luck in Butler's development uh, that they absolutely squandered. Yeah. So it was just a huge bummer, Like especially given where the franchise was when they drafted Butler, given where they were when... Butler developed into the star out of nowhere at this totally below market deal. Uh, I mean, it's like this was a gift for the Bulls, and they basically r- rose a white flag and said, you know, we're not we're not smart enough to build a winner around him. So that was totally a bummer. And you know, we could talk about the Butler situation forever, but uh, <laughs> you know, this is the reality of the franchise. They traded Jimmy Butler. I mean, even if they would have kept him, they're probably not winning a title if you want to view it through a title or bust vacuum. But, you know, in the East, they could have definitely built a damn good team, especially with some smarter free agent signings around him. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, like, even looking at the way that the East broke down this year, I mean, you have your top teams in Cleveland and Boston and I, I guess Philly as of now, but um, and I, guess, I always forget about Toronto, but as the way it broke down, like, you could easily see us falling into, had we built the, the team around Jimmy, um, you know, basically buying out that Wade contract and, you know, maybe or maybe not bringing back Rondo, but at least being, bringing a roster around him with some guys who can spread the floor, who guys could, who can, you know, hit the corner threes and, um, you know, keep kind of keeping Rolo down there, um, keeping check on the defensive end, at least squeezing into like a sixth spot um, and, and making a run for it in, in, you know, the East this year. But um, yeah, I think we just, and you and I had talked about this off air, but just kind of sitting in that, that mediocrity forever as a Bulls fan and, and being accustomed to uh, you know, championship lore and shit like that is just uh it's hard to uh, to fathom just being a you know mid tier team for the next but, some odd years. But here's the thing, dude. So you remember the year they signed Wade and Rondo, right? Miritich was basically nothing that season because they totally 
took away his agency as a player. Yeah. Like they reduced him to a spot up shooter in the corner. He never had the ball in his hands. He was totally a f- afterthought for them. Now he's a top 50, maybe top 40 player in the NBA. Like Miritich is insanely good. The reason the Bulls have the sixth pick this year instead of the first pick, you know, before the lottery is because when Miritich came back, they won seven games in a row. Right. Now Miritich is carrying the Pelicans in the playoffs. He's legitimately a more effective, more fitting piece than DeMarcus Cousins, who's one of the great big man talents we've seen in this league. But it's just like a player with Miritich's skill set who could shoot from the outside who could handle the ball, was so valuable. And the Bulls had that piece all along. It never gave him any agency, really, as a player. So if they never would have signed Wade, if they just would have let Miritich be the co-star alongside Butler, and they would have trusted their own investment in Miritich instead of needing to throw a horrible contract at Wade, you know, for post his prime years. Then, on top of that, I mean, they also had Spencer Dinwiddie, who's basically the Nets' best player. They cut him in favor of Michael Carter-Williams. And Jaron Grant. And Jaron Grant, right. There's, like, a good Bulls team that could have existed. Yeah. Their own player evaluation would have been better of the team they already had, let alone of free agents and draft picks. So, you know, there's easily a 50-plus win team with Spencer Dinwiddie. Even keep Rondo. I mean, Rondo was – we ragged on Rondo a lot when he was here, but he's playing great ball now. He played yeah. great ball for the Bulls towards the end of the season when they had him. You know, empower Miritich was what I always wanted them to do. Lopez is a professional center. Like, they could have had a decent team. Granted, so who, do you, who do you attribute that to? Is that like a more of a front office thing? Is that a coaching staffing thing? Is it, I, mean, I know that you've probably been in, in more, one of the more vocal ones on the uh, you know, Garpax or anti-Garpax uh, you know, bandwagon, but is that more of an attribute to the front office or to the coaching staff? In terms of development. I don't know. It's tough to say. Because yeah. it's like Garpax did trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. He traded Cameron Bearstow. Right. <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, did they think Dinwiddie was any good? Was Hoiberg the one who wanted to cut him? Like, I have no idea. So yeah. it's tough to say. Like, I'm away from the team. I don't know the dynamics of it. Fair. So uh, let's, let's but, talk. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, there, there was a good team that could have existed with Butler. But yeah. yeah. Whatever. It's over now. Yeah, absolutely. We can't. Uh, Fortunately, we can't uh, dwell on, on those things. So at, come draft time, we draft Laurie Markinen, uh, pardon me. Uh, people are pretty livid when that trade goes down. We get a, an injured Zach Levine. We get a Chris Dunn who, you know, had a, a no-show of a rookie season. And then um, some seven-foot, you know, Finland guy, uh, Finnish fella who, who nobody really knows much about. I mean, we know him as a, a uh, dominant three-point scorer in, in the college basketball, but he's uh, rated as a, a low, uh, low-end defensive player and uh, a low-quality rebounder. Um, what, what were your thoughts on draft night kind of when, when all that went on? Yeah, no, I didn't like it, but I mean, who cares? Right. <laughs> Markman's been great. That ended up being a fantastic pick for the Bulls. Like I won't even put a ceiling on Markman. I think he's terrific. He's only going to get better. He's already been better defensively than I thought he would be. And that was as a rookie. And you got to think like for big men, young big men, the, the scale of learning how to play defense. Right so steep like Carl Towns was considered a good defensive player out of Kentucky and like I was like a garbage defensive player right right, right. it was a high learning curve is a big man on the defensive end of the floor in the NBA and Markinen was already ahead of that curve from where we thought he would be especially given his physical tools like he's not super long he doesn't have great natural shot blocking instincts right he's not going to be you know like a Capella or Gobert type but for a great for Given the type of offensive player he is, he's already pretty solid defensively. He was also a good rebounder from day one. I can I attribute a lot of that to the presence of Robin Lopez, just boxing mm-hmm. people out, making selfless plays. 
So we'll see if that's sustainable over time. But I mean, uh, in reevaluating that trade now, Markinen is really, really good. So that's terrific. I think the Bulls got super lucky. The Bulls even admitted they got lucky with that. Right. They didn't even bring him in for a workout. Like maybe they wanted to. Yeah. But they didn't bring him in for a workout. Uh, I don't really know how good they thought he would be, but he ended up being by far the best piece in that deal. Right. And then you have Levine and Dunn, who I think are still big question marks facing the future of the organization. I mean, I don't know what your other questions are, but we can go into, you know, the place of Levine and Dunn. Yeah. Future. But I would still say like, you know, while they're clearly both talented, I like both of them as draft prospects being the draft guy at SB Nation. Uh, they have holes in their game. And they're both essentially one-way players. So they're going to need some extra development to truly be cornerstone pieces for the Bulls. And if, they're, if they can't have that development, the Bulls really need to think long and hard about how their presence affects their draft pick this year, how it's going to affect future free agent signings. I mean, mostly with the draft pick. Like, are you going to take right. Trey Young? Are you going to pass on Trey Young because you think Chris Dunn's your point guard of the future? Right. That's really the big question facing the franchise right now. And it's a fascinating dilemma, both for the fans in the front office, because, you know, you can really talk yourself into it either way. Like, Chris Dunn, has, he's really good defensively. Like, you can talk yourself into Chris Dunn, right? Like, I, I don't think Chris Dunn's trash by any means. He had a, he had a pretty decent year. But he's also got holes in his offensive skill set, and Levine's horrible on defense. It's like, right. how much are you going to pay him? So. Yeah, that trade at the top. So I think it looks better now than it did at the time. Sure. But I also still think there's a lot of questions, even given Miritich's sudden emergence with that trade moving forward, just because of the holes in Levine and Dunn's game. Yeah. So then that begs the question of, of so Zach Levine's impending free agency. At what point, like, the, the question I have is sorry, a, a guy who's coming off of a, a pretty serious injury who clearly has some holes in his game, who showed some flashes of, of, you know what he is as a player, but we already kind of knew that he's, he's scoring capability. His scoring capability is there. He's, you know, seventeen point per game scorer. Um, you know, but the the trio of of Dunn and Levine and Markin, I think, only played like twelve games together this entire season. So, I guess the question to you would be: At what point do you think? Like, do you think there's ever a chance that the Bulls would walk away from the contract discussions with Zach Levine and let him and let him walk from this trade? I mean, probably not. Here's the thing, though: the elephant in the room here is that no one else has any money, right? league like the bulls are literally the only team that has any money so my mindset going into this is that the chief objective for the bulls is not to bid against themselves right we saw them do that with cristiano felicio last year like no way does felicio get 32 million in the open market the bulls totally misevaluated the market they thought it was going to be the same as the year before when evan turner was getting 72 million right Walter was getting 70 million Noah was getting 70 million the bulls totally misplayed that hand Felicio probably gets two or three million in the open market per year. The Bulls give him eight million per year. Yeah. So they totally screwed that one up. So now they need to not make the same mistake again with Levine because no one else is going to pay him. And Levine's going to be like, well, if you truly value me as your future franchise cornerstone, like you say you do, I need to be paid like it. And the Bulls are going to be like, well, here's the thing. You're not as good <laughs> right. as you thought you were. And there's no market for you. So if I'm the Bulls, I'm playing this the same way they played the Miritich contract last year. If you remember, Miritich was not signed the entire summer. Right. Last year, he was still working out in the team facility. They still kept saying he was part of the plan or whatever. Right. I think it was only like a couple of weeks before training camp where he actually, actually like, you know, dot, pen, pen to paper where he actually was in training camp, like, lead it, like maybe a week before training camp started is when he actually signed. 
So I'm doing the same thing with Zach Levine. Don't yeah. sign him. Don't give him too much money. He's going to want – he's probably going to want $20 million a year, right? Right. No one else in the league is going to give him that. You are not beholden to his wishes on that. Right. Like, what do you think is a fair deal for Levine? Like, I would start at, like, 13 or 14. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking, like, 14, maybe 15 max for him. Uh, yeah. We definitely want to get into, like, Tim Hardaway territory, but. Yeah, so he should get Tim Hardaway money. Yeah, at Hardaway. best. Better than Hardaway. And that's the problem. Like, if you're using that as a barometer, like, he's better than Hardaway. Yeah. Oh, no, no question. No question. But to your point, I mean, it's the, the market kind of dictates that nobody else has money. So, you know, he can go out there and play the field and, and, and see what other, op- and there's going to be some teams out there that'll probably throw some money at him. I mean, um, I don't know what the Nets cap situation is, but I'm sure they'd, you know, be open to throwing some money at him. And, and I mean, are they really though? Are they really going to give him 17, 18, 19 million a year? Now, if they do, if you're the bulls, do you match it? Do you let him walk over? Three- right. And that's the question. It's like, at what point do you say, okay, go get your money, buddy. It's been a fun three months. So I would say that free agency is after the draft. Right. Which is great for the Bulls. Exactly. Because whoever they choose at that, you know, whatever pick they end up getting, whether it's six or whether it's in the top three or whether they, you know, get bumped down to seven or eight, they need to build around that guy. Right. They need to build around marketing. Those are your two cornerstones. So, like, for example – I like Trey Young. A lot of people do not like Trey Young, but mm-hmm. I can talk myself into Trey Young. But Trey Young and Zach Levine in the same backcourt would be a disaster. Right. You couldn't do that because they wouldn't play any defense. They'd have no switchability. It would be awful. If you're going to draft Trey Young, if you truly believe that he has the highest upside of any of the guys available, you know, if they take him over like Bamba or they take him over, you know, Michael Bridges or Miles Bridges or Shago Alexander, any of these guys, like I can talk myself into into Young. Right. But then you better build the team to maximize his strengths. And to do that, I think that maybe you let Zach Levine go in that scenario. Right. I could see like a two point guard set working in that scenario. I mean it's a it's a fucking pipe dream, but um with Chris Dunn? Yeah, I I mean that's the only foreseeable here's the problem. How effective is done off the ball? Sure. I would say not effective at all because he can't fucking shoot. Right. Now, he would have the defensive length and switchability to guard multiple positions in, on the perimeter, which would be great in theory. But it's like, I just don't know. Like, now Young would be great off the ball. That's what I was thinking. Like, that's the guy who I could think could just come off of screens and just, like, yeah, just curl off of screens and, you know, get his shots. But he's best on the ball because he's such a brilliant passer. Mm-hmm. Now, are they even going to take him? I mean, they could take Mo Bamba. They could take Michael Porter. They could take Michael Bridges or Miles Bridges or Wendell Carter. They could take anyone. But they do need to consider who they take and how that fits around the rest of the team. Well, so let's use that as a segue then. So in two drastically different scenarios, if we were to get, let's say, a top three pick, um, in your eyes, whether it's best player available or you know, uh, a positional fit, who, in your eyes, if they were able to fall into our lap, would be the best pick that we could make? I would want Luca. Yeah. I would want Doncic. I would just take him. Now, I'm saying this with a caveat that I am not super confident that Doncic will end up being the best player in the draft. Okay. In fact, I would say that if I had to choose between Doncic or the field, I would absolutely take the field. Okay. Are it's you like, looking for somebody else? But I don't know who it's going to be. 
It could be Lonnie Walker. It could be Zaire Smith. It could be Michael Porter Jr. Like, it could be any of these guys. Right. But Doncic, to me, is definitely going to be really, really good. I think he has a chance to be great. He has as much of a chance to be great as any other player. And he just makes winning plays. So, -hmm. like, if the Bulls got the second pick and Doncic went first – I would not be super high on Aiton, DeAndre yeah. Aiton from Arizona, just because like if you're a center who sucks at defense, right? You played off the fucking floor. We've seen right. that time and time again in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, you serve no purpose. In center that is the one position where defense is more important than offense. Well, yeah, especially now, like seeing the way that the playoffs have kind of unfolded now, like you see guys like Hassan Whiteside getting you know ten minutes for the game, or you see guys like uh, you know, I mean, you see Giannis basically playing the five as, as a kind of a small ball lineup. Like everybody is pretty much shrinking down to these lineups. That, I mean, Gortat's not playing as, nearly as many minutes, and yeah, I think that it's it's a weird place to be in the nba where the traditional big man is is and it's we've this has been a long time coming but it has almost become extinct frankly and it's happening at the same time as a year when all the best players in the draft are big men right it's yeah bomba carter jaron jackson i mean the list goes on now granted there's Embiid out there who's literally unstoppable i mean could even be Embiid. I think offensively, maybe, but what makes right. Embiid so special is his defensive acumen. Right. He's never going to be Embiid defensively. There's no way. I mean, do, you think Aiton's, do you think Aiton's issue is more of a, a defensive acumen and kind of defensive IQ thing, or is it a motor related thing? Yeah, I know that's, that's you like know a what? Like, both of those, it, they almost sound like shitty. Like, we're taking shots at him as a person. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. It's like, like I said earlier, there's like a steep learning curve for NBA defense. Right. And it's like Embiid is a literal genius. Like he processes things. So like, here's what I would say. Like Marcus Soul has been sick at defense, right? Right. Marcus Soul's slow as fuck. Right. He does not have great length. Right. Like everything you would think that would make a good defender, Marcus Soul is none of that. But he reads the floor two or three steps ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying like Aiton's a dumbass. Or I'm not right. saying that like he lacks motor. It's like it's a hard position to play. There's sure. a lot of process. Maybe Aiton will eventually get there. I mean, I would kind of doubt it. Now he could. If Aiton gets it defensively, I mean, he could basically be he'd be really, really, really good. Because right. I mean? offensively, like He's not – people call him a unicorn. He's not a unicorn. No, he, no. He's like a 90s center. He's like Patrick Ewing. Right, I know that's a common comp. But, like, that's not, like, an insult. Like, Patrick no. Ewing is really sick in today's right. game, no doubt. Like, to me, though, Aiton is destined to put up big numbers on a bad team. Mm. Now, maybe you could say the same thing about Boogie Cousins, who I think is a really good player. Like, I wouldn't take the same shots at Boogie. But it's like Boogie gives you the sense where he can almost play point guard. Right if he wasn't 6'11", 260 or whatever he is, like, right. I don't get that sense with Aiden at all. Like, he right. would have to get a lot better in terms of his ball skills right. to reach a boogie level. Right. He's much more – but, like, boogie's a below-the-rim player, and Aiden's definitely a, an above-the-rim explosive finisher. Right. I can talk myself into it e- either way, but my main, like, big-picture point is that whatever the Bulls do with that draft slot, you need to factor in how it affects – marketing like is marketing going to be the center of the power forward that's exactly what i said the second they drafted him before anyone knew if he was any good even right well you just took this guy at seven is he the center of the power forward like i kind of think he should be the center 
Yeah, I think it's an Yeah. Yeah, yeah cuz I mean he's shown an ability to 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 grab rebounds. He's he's shown an ability to to defend. Now, I but think he could definitely A lot benefit. of that was because Lopez was boxing everyone out. Sure, sure. But I think he could also benefit from like putting on some some quality weight in the offseason, similar to like what Giannis did after his rookie season and some of these other guys who put on some, you know, quality weight um to to really kind of bounce around not to not to a point where it's going to like affect his ability to still be uh, elusive on the offensive end but enough so that he can be formidable um at, at least from a rebounding and, and defensive perspective because then i think like having that he's the prototypical stretch five in that case i mean he's kind of the, the perfect stretch five in today's nba which is i mean that's exactly what you want somebody who can who and, and he's surprisingly good off the dribble like taking somebody off the dribble from the from the perimeter is something that i didn't see that in his game when i watched him in college a few times that i did but um, yeah, he, he can really get you a lot of different ways on, on the offensive end. Now, the problem is that I'm looking at the stats right here. He averaged like 0.5 blocks a game. Sure. 0.5 steals a game. So how do you build a championship-level defense with Larry Markin in your center? Yeah, that's you fair. And, and that beastly defenders around him. You need like – Four Trevor Arizas, right? Right, or three Trevor Arizas and a Trey Young, <laughs> right, 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 right. So like that's the way the Bulls have to be thinking about this. So if we're thinking in those terms, then so let's just say you know right now we're slated to get the six picks overall. So if everything the 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 ping pong balls just kind of went as they're supposed to go, and we and we fell somewhere, let's say between six and eight, who who in that range are you thinking? Okay, let's assume we fall in that range. There aren't really any two guards or or perimeter players, maybe that. Um, that would would dictate us not going after or re-signing Zach Levine. So, who do you think, from a positional standpoint, um, at that point in the draft, would be a, a better suited uh, for for the the current roster? Yeah, I like Trey Young. Still, okay. I mean, no, I mean, no, Mikael Bridges. No, uh, I mean, no, no chance at Michael Porter Jr. You know, it's funny because I covering uh, recruiting for SB Nation, and I'm going on this trip this weekend, this upcoming weekend. Every year, I go on an AAU trip. So I saw Porter and Trey Young play on the same team, Mokan Elite, on Nike's UYBL circuit for two years in a row, and I also saw them both at uh, USA Basketball, and I also saw them both at the McDonald's game. And never at any point did anyone in the fucking gym think that Trey Young was 1% as good as Michael Porter. Oh, yeah. Michael Porter was the golden boy. But here's what I'm going to say. Michael Porter's back injury is scary. Right. He didn't do anything this year. He looked terrible when he came back. I thought he was – I always really liked Porter when I would see him in the high school settings. But, you know, that's a tough setting to evaluate. Young is the best shooter in the draft. Definitely. He's -hmm. the best passer in the draft. Definitely. Unless – I mean, maybe Doncic. But, like, Trey Young just led college basketball in the CIS pregame. Like, he's a really good passer. Right. His obvious deficiencies in his game – on the defensive end and in terms of just being turnover prone. Right. But his shooting is so high level and his passing is so high level. I think that those are going to translate. Forget the next Steph Curry. Even if he's 75% of Curry, he's probably going to be a more effective player than Mo Bamba. Like if you're going to take someone who sucks at defense, let's compare him to Marvin Bagley, who I also kind of like, even though a lot of people don't like Bagley anymore. Sure. But if you're comparing him to Bagley or even to Porter, all right, give me the guy – even if they suck at defense, give me the guy who makes threes instead of twos. Right. You know what I mean, like I'll trade threes for twos. Fair. Interesting. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I don't know. Like that's my Trey Young take. Now Trey Young might go five to Orlando. 
Yeah, and see, now that makes sense because they need a point guard badly. But he has so many holes in his game that I don't really know. Like, if he, is he really going to go five? Like, I feel like I'm – like, what do you think of Trey Young? Just as someone who watches ball, like, you think I'm crazy for thinking the Bulls should take Trey Young? Because you can make an easy argument against Trey Young. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just – I've seen so many small guys who can just light it up in college come into the NBA and, you know, guys that are notably bad on the defensive end who, who from a matchup perspective, every day is going to be a nightmare for them against, especially some of these larger point guards that are starting to become a more, more commonplace in the NBA. I just have this, this genuine fear, especially towards the tail end of the college season where he's really started to tail off um, leading into like the, the tournament. I just have this concern. I see this like Jimmer for debt type of like uh, uh, Shabazz Napier. Maybe not Napier wasn't a, a superior shooter like like Trey Young is, but like I just have this like Shane Larkin image in my head that I can't get out, and it's just scaring the shit out of me. I think that's what I see in him that like concerns me a little bit because there are some major deficiencies on the defensive end, um, and I just I, I don't I don't know. I just I don't. I think in the right scenario he looks great, and then I think in the in the wrong scenario when when given the ball too many times or being the one who is reliant on or relied upon to, to, to handle the ball, to distribute, to be the playmaker, and also, you know, get his own open shots. I have concerns uh, of him being able to do that against, like, NBA-caliber defenders. Absolutely fair points. My counter-argument would be that Jimmer was a senior, right? Sure. And played in, what, the Mountain West? Right. The Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. Trey Young literally led college basketball in points and assists. the first player ever to do that. Right. He was playing great competition. He was super productive. Oklahoma won 12 games before he came in. He had him in the top five briefly. Right. Then he fell apart in the second half of the year. But the, that whole team was terrible. Right. He literally had one other top 100 crew in, on the entire roster. They had no one else who could create their own offense off the dribble. So many – so he had such a big offensive burden on him that it just led to inefficient play. Sure. I wouldn't say he's a selfish player. Now, granted, he takes shots that aren't good shots. Right. But if you, you know, similar to Curry, now he's not going to be close to Steph Curry because Steph Curry is one, in my opinion, one of the 10 best players, maybe one of the five best players to ever play in the league. Sure. There's a hot Steph Curry take for you. <laughs> I'd say Curry's underrated. I, I think that's true. I think that it's easy to underrate a guy who lives the majority of his life from beyond 30 you know, feet away from the basket. You know, 30 Curry changed the game. In, in Curry changed game. Right. Curry no is like the son of Steph Curry in a sense, right? Now he's not going to be close to as good, but who cares? Right. If you're 75% as good as Steph Curry, you're still probably going to be better than Michael Porter. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like maybe Michael Porter ended up being awesome. I loved Michael Porter's game in high school. Yeah, but but to your point, like back injuries are scary. There's there's just like there's this the back injury usually leads to other injuries as a result of that. So that then leads to hip injuries and knee injuries and ankle injuries and all this other shit that just comes from. And back injuries are a huge huge pain in the ass. I mean, that those back injuries have completely derailed people's careers. Um, you know, for for years. And then here's my other big picture sort of esoteric take. The NBA has become so homogenous. Everyone plays the exact same way. And how do they play? It's spread, pick, and roll with not even a point guard, like an offensive initiator. Right. Running a high screen and roll with three shooters around him. Then either your center is going to be sort of a dive guy like Capella or Whiteside. Right. Or a pick and pop guy. Or a freak, if you get Embiid, who can just do everything. (laughs) Right. Or Porzingis, you know. 
so like, what is Michael Porter? Yeah. In that situation is he the offensive initiator. Like your offensive initiators in the NBA right now can range everyone from Ben Simmons to James Harden to Steph Curry to Donovan Mitchell. I love Donovan Mitchell in the draft. You know who I compared him to? I was on him before anyone. I thought he'd be like Avery Bradley. He's mm. way better than Avery Bradley, all right? Yeah, substantially. But the difference is that Avery Bradley was never in that offensive initiator role, right? right? Avery Bradley was never like, yo, I'm running all the pick and rolls and the spread pick and roll offense. Now, even if Bradley was ever in that role, Mitchell's just so advanced in terms of his footwork and his drives to the lane. He's just so technically skilled. So Mitchell's amazing. Yeah. But if you would have put Mitchell in the Bradley roles off the ball, three and D guy, like we'd probably never even know how good he is. Right. Yeah. And had Rodney Hood not gone down, I mean, they, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. That, that's, um, yeah. Do the Bulls have the offensive initiator on their team already? Is it Chris Dunn? Is it Zach Levine? They did not seem to compliment each other well last year because they both want to be the offensive initiator. Right. Well, I to your point earlier, like Chris Dunn doesn't play well off the ball. He just doesn't. What was that? I was saying, like to your point earlier, like just Chris, it, it, it's part of the problem is that Chris Dunn can't play off the ball. Yeah, he's not good off the ball for sure. No. He has versatility defensively, but not offensively. Right. The so, Bulls have too many one way guys on the team. So there's an argument against Trey Young. Right. You need so many one way guys on the team, but it's like, fuck these other guys. Right. You need to build the team around special talent. It's like, I don't care. Like, just get rid of these other guys. Right. Hey, if you're truly selling Trey Young, now you know Trey Young's not that good, and like I can make an argument for him, but like obviously we both know he has deficiencies in his game. But it's like whoever you take that. So like let's say you take Bamba. So like what what are you hoping for for Bamba? I'm so not a big Bamba's fan of five who dives to the basket and finishes. Like if you put Bamba in the Capella role, I mean he should be amazing, right? Right. But if you don't put Bamba in a situation to flourish like that, like I could see Bamba being terrible. Yeah, he he just strikes me as a Hashim to beat type. Like I just I I don't see it. I, I I watched a couple of his games throughout the season, and you know the first game of the tournament, and I'm just I'm yeah I'm not sold on him. And I I think he's a great kid. I think he's an interesting cat, but I just I don't see it. He's I'm his he has the like he's got the frame of an NBA player, but like he's also got the frame of like a 12 year old. He's so frail. It's just yeah, uh, he's got broad shoulders though. Yeah, that's fair. The question is, how much bounce does he have, and how quick is he? Like, I don't know if he's that quick. I don't know right. if he's bounce. But maybe that improves as he gets stronger. But it's also like he's already an elite shot blocker. Like he was top five in block rate in college basketball. And, like, when you're that – like, that length is just unprecedented. Like, when you have a seven nine wingspan or whatever, like, it's almost hard for me to see him failing, especially right. if he gets in a good situation. Like, with the Bulls, would it be a good situation? Like, I could totally see him, like, I don't know. I could talk myself in circles with all <laughs> That's what makes this draft so intriguing is, like, every prospect has a big red flag. Every single yeah. one. Yeah, it is an interesting draft. So, looking at next season, let's, let's look at the offseason, uh, and this will be kind of where we wrap up today. So, what do you need to see from the Bulls during this offseason, and let's just say including the draft, for – next season to be a step in the right direction. What do I need to see from them this off season? Well, they got to nail the draft pick. Sure. And they're going to have a lot of options if they end up at six, or if they end up in the top three. And then it's like, what are you going to do with 22? 
do you go high upside and then high floor? Do you go Michael Bridges maybe? You know, if you end up at eight, let's say you get jumped. Do you go Bridges and then a high upside guy in 22? So that's what I would say. And then also I'm team tank again. I think if you're man. Tank, <laughs> we, we didn't do it right this year. You got to tank for two years. Yeah. You can't tank for one year. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah, we just didn't we didn't we didn't because do it right this year. tanked for one year, they'd have Julia Loca for. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Give yourself more shots at it, dude. Yeah. No. So I'm tanking two years. The Bulls probably aren't gonna do that. No. Yeah. They, yeah, like they right. want to get the eighth seed next year. Which I feel like if you're gonna do that, just keep Butler. Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, like like you said, I mean people every year people draft for a guy who ends up like Jimmy Butler and we had him on a solid contract who was controlled for another two two years um and we squandered it man it was a uh, it's been it's been tough to be a bulls fan the last couple of years especially with the uh the moves that they've made one thing i will say i'm glad that they stopped letting gar foreman speak to the media and just let him do scouting and, and kind of focus on on you know behind the scenes work and, and let john paxton kind of be the uh the face of the of the bulls for the for media purposes because uh yeah gar, gar foreman was quickly becoming the most hated man in uh in chicago sports by far yeah, I'm just worried the Bulls are going to get trapped in mediocrity again. Like, they traded Jimmy Butler because they didn't want to get stuck in mediocrity. And I just think, like, they're kind of on the path to be trapped there again. Yeah. No, and I agree. Less, they just suck again, which is what I hope they do. I hope they're just trash. Yeah. No, I, th- I think uh, – Like, I'm not even pro-tanking, really. I think tanking is kind of garbage. Right. The whole system that incentivizes, incentivizes it is garbage. But if you're going to do it, you can't do it for one year. I think you have to do it a minimum of two years. Right. Yeah, and I think and I think you're playing. Things have been trash for ten years, and Magic have been trash since they traded Dwight Howard. The the Timberwolves, you know, this is the first time they made the playoffs in fifteen years. But it's like you need more bites at at the apple, so to speak. So tank mm-hmm. again. That's my take. You chose this path, now commit to it. Well, what better way to sign off today, uh, Ricky? Tell the people where they can find you online, and uh, and we'll sign off. SBNation.com, college basketball and NBA coverage on Twitter, SBN underscore Ricky. Finding people. Um, Ricky's a, he's a great tweeter. He's a great tweeter. Um, well, for Ricky, for Jay, um, don't forget to subscribe on uh, iTunes, by the way. Uh, if you haven't already, uh, give us a rating and review on any of your podcast players. Um, also, don't forget about EA Love. We're talking food this week. Last week, we did uh, Best Playoff Food City. So, hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, yeah, for Ricky, for Jay, this has been NBA. We're out. Thank you.